Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. I'm so excited to be sharing this episode with you with Megan Tatey, the author of Super Bloom. This is actually one of our Zibby books, which come out once per month and that we publish in-house. And we just love this book. We're so excited. Megan Tatey is a writer and editor running the company Wordlift. Her writing has appeared in the Huffington Post and Ms. Magazine, among others. Super Bloom, her debut novel, publishes today, May 2nd, by Zivy Books. She's working on her second novel, Champions for Breakfast. Megan lives in Western Massachusetts with her family. Enjoy this episode. I am so excited for Super Bloom. And by the way, this makes a wonderful Mother's Day gift. Welcome, Megan Tatey. I am so excited to have you on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books today to discuss Super Bloom. 
Thank you, Zibby. It is just so thrilling and quite surreal to be here after listening to pretty much every episode for a long time. And yeah, this is just a total dream come true. So thanks for having me. Oh, it's a dream come true for me when I get to interview an author whose book I got to witness from like the very first draft or whatever you showed us, whatever draft that was for you, which we can get into all the way through the whole journey until now we have this beautiful purple and green, amazing book <laughs> with a woman with the cucumbers on her eyes. And oh my gosh, and the book is so good. And I'm so excited that we're publishing it. So yay. I still have the picture of me getting the offer email and I was in an actual writer's group Zoom chat, you know, and I, we were just talking about each other's manuscripts and the offer came in and they have a photo of me just like my hands over my mouth, like, oh my gosh, what's happening? And what you saw was there were many, many, many drafts. My, my journey has been really quite long. We can get into that. Yeah, it's been, it was a long journey. Wait, okay. So start off by telling listeners what Super Bloom is about, please. Super Bloom is about a massage therapist named Joan Johnston, and she is living in Vermont, and she's working at a luxury spa. She's grieving the loss of her love, Samuel, who died two years ago, six months into their epic love story. And she's about to get fired because she just is really struggling at work. Her boss gives her one chance to save her job, which is to get a glowing review from the most demanding client, famous romance novelist Carmen Bronze. She, without giving too much away, doesn't do so great in that massage, but <laughs> Carmen <laughs> Carmen gives her another chance and says, look, if you give me dirt about the spa where I want to set my next bestseller, I'll give you that glowing review. Joan begins to do that, but along the way, she wonders if actually she's the one to write that book instead of Carmen, and chaos ensues. <laughs> Amazing. Now we can go back to the whole journey. Okay, take us to wherever this journey begins. When did you know you wanted to be a writer? Did you know you wanted to be a writer? Like, go all the way back. Were you a big reader as a kid? Set the scene. Yes, I was a huge reader. I was the kid writing in my room, you know, hanging out in my room with my notebook, writing little stories, so much so that my grandmother gave me a typewriter when I was eight and I would peck away at the keys. I had a huge imagination and we had this beautiful backyard that I would play in for hours, just imagining all of these stories in this make-believe world. And then in high school, I joined the newspaper staff and I just loved the, the writing, the fast-paced deadlines. And that really inspired me to pursue journalism. So that's what I went to school for. And Along the way, I was really reading a lot of very, very good, but very, very, you know, thick literary fiction. And I never imagined that I could do what I was reading. So I graduated. I started trying to be this investigative reporter. It was at the time where a lot of newspapers were shutting down and things were going online and mediums were trying to figure out how to contend with that. So I had to do all sorts of other jobs to, to do the investigative journalism that I wanted to be doing. I was waitressing, I was working at YMCA's, and I was sitting in my car on my lunch break doing interviews with people and then writing these stories up, you know, in the, in the evening. And it wasn't until probably my 30s where I started to wonder if I had some fiction in me. I started writing some short stories, taking a few classes. And even still, I was sort of like, you know, 
who me? Like, do I, do I possess this in me? Can I do something like that? And then my husband took me on a surprise trip to Vermont. I had a massage. This was eight years ago. And I kept wondering the whole time, you know, about the woman, the body worker who was working on me. And I, you know, I was like, what, what is she thinking? Am I her first massage of the day, her fifth massage? What is this like to be working here? And that's my journalism mind. I wanted to pull her aside and interview her. But I walked away from that with this flood of idea for this novel. And I came back from that trip being like, okay, I'm going to try. I'm just, I'm going to try. And then it took me eight years to get from there to now. That's really not so bad. <laughs> it, 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 it isn't. I thought I queried, you know, I wrote the book in a year and then I queried thinking wait, I was going to... Okay, wait, how long did it go? You you had the massage, you had a million ideas. Yeah. This is a point at which a lot of people drop out of the process. Like this would be a great idea for a novel and then that's the end. Right. Versus this is an idea for a novel and in eight years it's going to be on a shelf. So after you left, did you had it and how did you make sure you didn't forget the idea? Because I feel like I'm always having ideas and then they fly out my head the second I have them. Well, I actually, my husband also gave me a journal for my birthday. It was like the best birthday. Thank you, husband. <laughs> and I started writing the early pages right there on that trip. And I came home and I just felt really determined. And I I wrote that my first, very first version of that book in about a year. And I queried agents really early with not a ton of feedback thinking I was going to be someone's unicorn. Like an agent was going to burst out of their room. You'd be like, I found her. <laughs> and I heard, I heard nothing. I heard crickets. And I was like, okay, this is, I have a lot to learn. I, I really had to get humble. I had to study the craft. I started reading voraciously in a way I had never done before. I was also raising two young kids. I have a four-year-old and a seven-year-old. So those I was having those kids and raising them at that time. And I was running my writing and editing business. So I was really writing this book on the fringes of, you know, my life and, you know, 15 minutes here, Paw Patrol in the background, trying to, <laughs> trying to get this down and really nail it. And it, and it took a while. I think we're often, we often, you know, are regaled with these overnight success stories of writers, or we don't hear the grind behind them. And it's quite shocking to realize how much you've got to really dedicate yourself to this and, and buckle down and commit to it and, and study it, study it over and over again. So that's what I had to do. Wow. Go back to the business you were running and how you ended up starting that at the same time. Yes. So my business is called WordLift. And I had been working at a nonprofit as a sort of journalist and we were working on media issues. And I left there about three years and I saw that there was just a lot of really bad copy out there, <laughs> you know, bad websites and people who were incredible at what they did, but couldn't articulate it. So I thought, well, I'm just the gal to start that. So I did. And it took a little while to build. And I, I, I hadn't started writing this novel yet. So I had the business going for a few years before the novel. I also began writing for independent school magazines, and that became a really big uh, part of my business. 
and I, it was lovely. And I still am running it. I love being my own boss. I love calling the shots, setting my own hours. And it still affords me, you know, what I love, which is storytelling and interviewing a lot of people, whether I'm interviewing someone about their business so I can understand how to write their website copy, or I'm interviewing an alum from a magazine who started an incredible business and I can write a beautiful story about them. So my life has really been steeped around words since I was very young. And I feel really fortunate about that. Now you queried agents, you got crickets. Why (laughs) did you not give up then? Like that's another point at which other people might drop off. Yeah. I, it turns out that I'm a very determined little energizer bunny. (laughs) (laughs) It was like, you know, I, I had moments where I thought that I might quit. And in fact, took long breaks. It wasn't like I was for eight years, like slogging away every day. I had to take some breaks and I had to give myself some, some mental breaks because it was so hard. There's so much rejection, but I, I just felt like I could do it and I wanted to crack it. So I just, I started taking more classes. I was listening to all sorts of podcasts, yours included, around querying, what other authors have gone through. It wasn't until multiple years into working on the book that I started really studying structure and inciting incidents and what makes for a breakout novel. You know, what, why are certain novels working and why are, why don't they work? I definitely had a lot of tears along the way, you know, just like, can, should I shelve this book? I know a lot of writers that happens. And so I, I got to a point where I said, should I work on something else? And in fact, I did a little bit, but I loved these characters. I just felt like I owed it to them to keep going after all this time. So I did. And I'm so, I'm so glad I did. And actually had the timing been different, we wouldn't, be working together. So I'm so grateful. You know, I'm so grateful that things worked out the way that they did, even though there were moments where I felt so dejected. Well, I'm really glad for all of your prior rejections too, so we could publish your book. (laughs) (laughs) Which by the way, by the time it arrived in my inbox was in great shape and ready to be snatched up. So I don't know what it looked like before, but yeah, very exciting. So let's go into the characters and more about the plot and development of the characters. Did Joan and Carmen and all the supporting cast change over time or were they basically who they were from the beginning? That's a great question. You know, in the beginning, Joan was, you know, when you first meet her, she's in a bad way. But earlier versions, she was very prickly and, you know, the sort of unlikable character. Mm. And a lot of the feedback I was getting from early readers from agents was she's just too unlikable. And I, I sort of, I pushed against that at first. I, you know, I wanted her to, to show that she was in a bad way, but I, along with my wonderful editor, Bridie made a couple of very subtle changes in that first chapter that shows that she's yes, in a hard place, but also has something deeper underneath and a lot of love to offer. And doesn't like herself this way. So there were just some key changes that we made, um, a couple of lines that were so, so important. At the same time, Carmen was also a little one note. I really, in the beginning, wrote her as this romance novelist, partly as a lark, thinking this will be so hilarious that she's a romance novelist. 
But I thought it's been years since I've read romance. So maybe I should take another look at that. So I began to read more romance, listen to other romance writers talk about their craft. And I was blown away. You know, I was like, this this genre is way more feminist than I remembered. It's way more interesting than I remembered. And I decided that, no, this isn't like a joke that she's a romance novelist. This is an incredible thing that she does. And there's a reason people get so much out of this genre that is also propping up the rest of publishing. You know, as I found out, you know, there's this is a book within a book. Joan writes the beginnings of her own romance novel. It's hard. It's really hard to do romance <laughs> right and to do it well. So I had to learn a lot along the way. And the supporting cast, it was just about making them not so one note. So just mm-hmm. a, a, like a painting, going back in and back in and giving them little things here and there that, yes, allows them to be quirky and supportive, but also, you know, having their full full lives around Joan. I love that. I love that. I've never heard it described that way. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) I feel like some of my, (laughs) my attempts at character writing via painting would be just like throwing giant splotches of paint and like giving up. Do you know what I mean? Like being like, I'm so frustrated. I'm throwing paint all over you. But anyway. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I know. I know for sure. And I've even cut a character. There's a character that you never even saw early on. There was just too many on the page and it it meant that everyone else was a little scrunched. So if I was going to let everyone else have a little bit of room, I had to cut her. And that was hard. I'd been with this this little character for a while, but she wasn't serving the story in the way that I needed to. So I said goodbye. And, you know, she was on the cutting room floor and those are hard decisions to make. But ultimately, I think it was a really good choice. It's like the whole kill your darlings thing. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) For the parts that did take place in the spa, did you end up going back and interviewing people like you originally wanted to? I did. I felt like it was too creepy to ask my massage therapist during that that spa day if I could. I wanted to take her out to breakfast. I felt like that was just, I would come off as a weirdo. So I I didn't do that, but I interviewed a bunch of body worker, either friends or just people I began, you know, finding or researching folks who had worked in a variety of settings, whether it was a luxury spa, they owned their own business. They had worked for a franchise like Massage Envy. It was important for me to get that piece right and to also show that some people don't love that profession. It's not naturally right for them as it is for Joan. It's not right. But for other people like her best friend Cher, they're so good at it. They love it. It feeds them. Their bodies can sustain it. Some people, I think, try this work and find that because it's so physically taxing, their own bodies can't do it. And I couldn't really relate, relate to that. I, there's no way that my my body could, could withstand that. So as I interviewed these people, I found so many incredible stories that happen in these tiny rooms that are so intimate. You never know who you're going to get on your massage table unless it's a repeat client. You never know what the day is going to bring. And each setting, whether you're working for yourself or you're working in a spa, has its pluses and minuses. So I really wanted to to know it well. And luckily, I met some great people along the way who were willing to share these stories with me. 
That's amazing. By the way, if you have that list of people stored away somewhere, we'd be happy to send them books and things like that. So I think we have. I think. Oh, we okay, have. great. Yes, yes. Yeah, I'm always behind behind the uh, <laughs> ideas here, but great, perfect. One thing that you did in a really interesting way was capture that new love and all of those feelings where the world is your oyster, right? You fall in love and you're like, oh my gosh, and everything is clicking into place. And maybe you don't take the time to meet each other's old friends or families or all of this stuff. You don't even stop to get out of your sort of love bubble enough. And then that is when the tragedy sort of strikes for Joan with all these repercussions because new love, while it feels so essential to who you are as a person and everything, and yet you realize on the outside, people might not even know about it. And does that minimize grief or loss? What does that mean when people say, well, they've only been together for this long? Or, you know, all these qualifications on loss and grief when there is that intensity at the beginning where... I don't know. Does it hurt more? Does it? Anyway, tell me about that. Yeah. I think we hear a lot of love stories, you know, sad love stories where people have been together for years and years and someone, you know, passes away or or something happens. And I wanted to write a, a story about an epic, a story that's, you know, a love story that's about to be so epic. These two people, these quirky people have found each other and they're so thrilled. They are just ready to to take on the world. And yes, it's early days, but kind of like when you know, you know, and they just knew. And unfortunately, Samuel dies six months into this really intense courtship. And Joan is left holding the bag. She's left with all those big feelings that only one other person shares and knows about. And yes, you know, a few people, her her friend knows about him, but they haven't really met him. So when she goes to this funeral, she's a little statusless. She's not the widow. She's not even totally the ex-girlfriend because people don't know her well. So there's a pain in that, people not recognizing the importance that she felt in Samuel's life. And so she's sort of still like, well, but we 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 were going to be so great together. And I can imagine that that sort of pain is, is just so hard to feel and then to not have it be recognized by people around you. So I wanted to explore that for her and give this to her. Sorry, Joan, but then have her walk through it and figure out how to get get past it. And the answer for her is writing these fictional characters that are stand-ins for herself and Samuel. And they allow her to write the story that has the happy ending she didn't get, that pushes them out into the future. It ended up being also a really interesting tool, writing tool, because it allowed me to give things about Samuel to the fictional character, Cord, without getting stuck in backstory, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, without getting bogged down, without having the reader have to read so many scenes with Samuel when you already know he's dead. That is that is a hard thing to, to do. So I could give those pieces to a new living, breathing character. And that made it a little bit more fun, a little more lively. And that's ultimately the way Joan begins to mend her broken heart and also find this hidden potential, this hidden passion that's been buried for a long time. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes, flat rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. 
Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help. And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. I love how strategically you're, and analytically, you're treating the book and... (laughs) No, it's awesome, right? The structure and this and that and pace, you know, it's, these are tools. It's awesome the way you're thinking. I mean, it's great. Thank you. Thank you. That's, that's so kind. (laughs) (laughs) Really interesting. And you have another novel that we've already acquired. You want to talk about that? I do. I do. What a dream. Yes. It's called Champions for Breakfast. And it is a completely different novel. It's about a mother and daughter alpine ski racing champions. The mom is an Olympian, former Olympian, and they are estranged, but they get stuck in a Swiss town called Zermatt when an avalanche socks in their town. And the only place to stay is a youth hostel. So they are stuck having to work things out together and figure out their future until the avalanche lunch is cleared. So that this has been a really fun, wonderful novel to also research. You know, I love the research. I love the interviews. So I've been interviewing former Olympians, especially skiers, about what it's like to work your entire life for something. And then around the age of 30-ish, you're done. And you have to transition to kind of civilian life and figure out what's next. And a little bit of the trauma that's involved in that, you know, and just, I've I've been doing interviews of of folks who live in Zermatt. I, I took this idea of the avalanche from 
headlines. It actually happened in 2018 that 13,000 tourists were stranded in Zermatt when when an avalanche (laughs) happened and it blocked the road. So I've interviewed, you know, the people who run Air Zermatt, who airlifted tourists out. And I've interviewed the, the tourism director there. You know, how did you even notify people about what what was happening. So it's been really fun. I can't wait. I'm, I'm sending it to my editor in a few weeks and, and I can't wait to sort of, you know, dig in and, and keep going. So yes, it's, and it's a dream to be working on my second book. Oh my gosh. It's so <laughs> exciting. I mean, really, it's like this wonderful trajectory and it's just so fun to be a part of it. Now that the book, now that Superbloom is is coming out into the world, which by the way is crazy timing given the Superblooms going on in California. Talk about that. Yeah, it's really wild. So the name Superbloom for the novel is based on actual Superblooms happening in nature where there's wildflower seeds that are lying dormant for many years in deserts. And they only bloom when the right conditions happen, a lot of rain and a lot of heat. And when they bloom, they're just actually so incredible. They're so vibrant. They cover these mountainsides. And I hadn't heard of them until 2018. I was a few years into my book already. I had a different title. I heard an NPR story, sort of like what happens with Joan in the book. And I I said, Super Bloom, what, what is that? And I quickly looked it up online and saw the Google images. And I, my mind, I was like, that's the title for my book. That is the metaphor for Joan. She is the seed lying dormant, waiting for the right conditions and, and the trust that one day this the, the right conditions would happen and she would bloom, basically. So I feel like not only is that happening for Joan, it's happening for me. And now it's happening in the real world, in California, at the time when my novel's coming out. And I just, I'm getting all these messages and texts from people, you know, with, you know, this is happening. Have you seen the headlines? Yes, I've seen it. Although keep sending it to me because it's amazing. And the timing couldn't be more incredible. I mean, what a gift. What what a gift. Oh my gosh. Wait, what was the last title? What was the previous title? It was Big Inspiration, huh. which just, it wasn't, you know, I was imagining that Joan was going to have this big inspiration. And so it was kind of, that's what it was, but it wasn't, it wasn't quite there. It huh. wasn't it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I know. Titles change a lot, but I'm always so interested. I know. I love titles. Did you have a vision for this book cover? And was this close to what you had thought? Or did you think, did you have it in your head sort of in a different direction? I had no vision, (laughs) but I, you know, you all sent me a couple of versions from the amazing designer, Alison Saltzman, who I was blown away that we were working with her. I have so many books that she's designed on my shelves that I've stared at for years, wondering if this was a possibility for me. And so to know that she was designing my cover, I just couldn't believe. We got so many great options. When I first saw the the cucumber eyes, I loved it, but I was like, is this Joan? I, you know, I didn't know for sure. And we looked at a few others. There were, there were flowers on the mountainside. There was a pin that was also a flower. There were some great ones, but I think everyone really realized that this cover is so unique. It's going to totally pop 
everywhere. I loved the idea of people sort of mimicking the cucumber eyes and what we could do with that. When we first got the book, my daughter and my husband and I took some photos of us wearing cucumber eyes and quickly realized that they fall off your face really easily. <laughs> so my dog kept, my dog like ate half a cucumber as that was happening. Uh, <laughs> But I think it's going to be really fun. And I just get such a kick out of seeing it everywhere and the different things people are doing with the eyes. It's amazing. Oh my gosh. So having gotten through all of this and to this point, at least, what advice would you have for aspiring authors, especially those who might be considering putting their manuscripts aside or giving up the dream? I think you risk a broken heart if you think you can dash off a manuscript in a very short amount of time and wow, an agent, sort of like I tried to do. It's, it's, it's akin to thinking, you know, maybe I could play on the women's soccer team in the World Cup without <laughs> ever, you know, and being like, maybe I think I kind of have a knack for this, you know, <laughs> like without ever practicing for years, for years, really working on your craft for a long time and being humble to that. And at first, I believed that if I wasn't swooped up quickly, it meant that I didn't have the chops. I didn't have the talent. We hear so many overnight stories or the very rare stories of people being swooped up and they're you know 20 and they've written this and it's a bestseller. But those stories, most people are grinding it out. So just be prepared to do that. And and do it because the writing makes you really happy. I feel like my best days are when I've written even a little bit. I feel like I'm a better human because I love the actual writing. So do it for that, not because you think this is going to be an instant overnight success. I love that. That is great advice. <laughs> Meg, I'm so excited for you. I can't wait to just be in the wings as you shine on stage here as the book comes out and just so excited for you. And, you know, you're now you're scattering sort of the seeds of this book all over the place, you know, the wild. Thank you. Going all so, are you. so are you. So are you. I'm just like blowing them, you know, I'm sort of just like ushering them forward, but you're the one who's released them all. So I'm just like giving them a nudge, just a little nudge. <laughs> Thank you so much, Zippy. When we first met on Zoom, you said you wanted this to be a dream experience for authors, and it has definitely been that for me. So thank you so much. I'm so grateful, and I am having the time of my life, that's for sure. Oh, I'm so relieved. <laughs> so happy and so relieved. Yes. Uh, yes. Trying so hard to, to make it all fun because, you know, you just can't control. We can't control what happens, right? But no. all we can control is the process and the journey and, and knowing that we're a team going through this and doing our absolute best to get this yes. book out every, yes. into people's hands. So it's a great team. So thank you. Thank you. All right. Congratulations. Thanks. Everybody, Super Bloom, Meg and Tady, go get it right this second. Okay. Thanks, Meg. <laughs> this isn't going too bad. I might be able to pull this off. As soon as I've formed that thought, the massage turns into a game of whack-a-mole. There, yes, there, Carmen says. I press there. Over an inch. I inch over. Too far left. Shifting right. Too far right. Shifting left. Circular motion. I hula-hoop my thumb. Scratch for a sec. I scratch. Tickle. That's a rare one. 
Karate chop. I thump her with the edge of my hand. Hard. Wham. Now soft like a whisper. I barely brush her skin. Little raindrops. I lightly tap my fingers. Belly flop. Um, whack? I whack. Beached whale. My hand flops from the palm to the back of my hand. The worm. Is candid camera still a thing? I inch my fingers up Carmen's spine, caterpillar-like. Tic-tac-toe, but a cat's game. I draw an imaginary grid, the X's and O's canceling each other out. None of this makes any sense. I feel like I'm yes-mamming a madwoman. When I resume my usual massage, Carmen shouts, harder! I worry my thumb will puncture her skin. Are you even pressing? Sleeves rolled up, I hover my hands over Carmen's back as if I'm about to thrust them into a large vat of bread dough. Then I begin, spreading oil onto her skin. She weighs as much as an empty laundry basket, though she's far from frail. Her body is lithe and lightly muscular, and her skin is smooth. But her muscles are as tight as promised, with sharp pellets like little BBs under her skin. She grunts and groans as I dig into her lats. In an effort to save my thumbs, I move to the head of the massage table, where I use my elbows to slide the skin back down toward Carmen's sacrum, giving my hands a break for a merciful but short 60 seconds. I press my thumb into her right shoulder blade, gliding across her oiled skin and fanning the muscle just below the surface. Her rhomboid minor is inflamed, likely a byproduct of all the writing she does. I imagine her sitting at a vast desk overlooking a bubbling brook, typing her books at a leisurely pace, and I can't help but feel a pang of envy. I wish I could ask her where she gets all of her story ideas, but I've got to pretend she's Gertrude, put your bottoms on. Not a famous novelist who doesn't want to be hounded with questions while she's getting a massage. I dance each fingertip across her rhomboid to the spine. Just right of the spine, I pivot my thumb, working it like a snowplow, to push the skin and muscle up toward Carmen's neck and skull. Wisps of her curly hair get trapped underneath my thumb, and I pull them away, slick with oil. This isn't going too bad. I might be able to pull this off. As soon as I've formed that thought, the massage turns into a game of whack-a-mole. There, yes, there, Carmen says. I press there. Over an inch. I inch over. Too far left. Shifting right. Too far right. Shifting left. Circular motion. I hula-hoop my thumb. Scratch for a sec. I scratch. Tickle. That's a rare one. Karate chop. I thump her with the edge of my hand. Hard. Wham. Now soft like a whisper. I barely brush her skin. Little raindrops. I lightly tap my fingers. Belly flop. Um, whack? I whack. Beached whale. My hand flops from the palm to the back of my hand. The worm. Is candid camera still a thing? I inch my fingers up Carmen's spine, caterpillar-like. Tic-tac-toe, but a cat's game. I draw an imaginary grid, 
the X's and O's canceling each other out. None of this makes any sense. I feel like I'm yes-mamming a madwoman. When I resume my usual massage, Carmen shouts, harder! I worry my thumb will puncture her skin. Are you even pressing? This massage is slipping away from me. I can do better, I'm tempted to say. But I'm also starting to hate Carmen Bronze, and I loathe the idea of having to cater to someone's crazy whims just because of her celebrity status. Doesn't she have anything better to do than to write nasty reviews that get people fired? Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.